Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus. Through this series, we speak to higher education thought leaders about the trends, ideas, and opportunities that are shaping the future of this industry and pick their brains for best practices and advice that leaders can apply to their own institutions. On today's episode, Michael Cunningham, Chancellor and CEO of National University System, sits down with Illumination host Amrit Alawalia to discuss higher education's shift in focus toward upskilling or reskilling programs, the 60-year curriculum, and whether a subscription model is the industry's future. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us on the Illumination podcast. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Now, I mean, just starting off at the top, you know, we're uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about the work that you and the team at National are doing uh, around the Amazon uh, Career Choice Partnership. Starting off right at the top, though, I want to set the scene. I, I'm I want to understand why have so many colleges and universities been relatively slow when it comes to focusing on providing upskilling, reskilling, and other sort of career relevant education options for adults. Well, yeah, of course, I don't have all the answers when sure. to this subject, <laughs> that, that could take a few hours, I'm sure. Well, I'm sure uh, we could do an but, episode but I, on that alone. <laughs> but I, I think uh, some of it has to do with the fundamental historical structure in universities today. Mm-hmm. And, and what do I mean by that? I, I mean that new programs and uh, new certificates, for the most part, take quite some time to get into the catalog. And as you know, the catalog is the covenant that we have with our students going forward. And at traditional universities, what seems to happen uh, too frequently, in in my mind anyway, is that by the time it goes through the process, it could be two to three years before certain programs get into the catalog. And as you know, in this this marketplace, um, the skills and competencies that are needed are evolving much faster than that. Mm -hmm. So it's almost a game of catch up where non-traditional universities and some of the most progressive um, uh, historical universities are doing is they're really focusing on that, uh, that process and making sure that we can get into the catalog with new programs and credentials and certificates and upskilling uh, type of scenarios, we can get in within three months. And, and that is a big part of it. The, the other part is, you know, it, trying just to figure out what are the skills and competencies needed for the jobs of tomorrow that don't even exist yet. So that's where you have to invest a lot of money and time with thought leaders to figure out and industry experts to figure out where, as Wayne Gretzky says, where that puck will be. And mm-hmm. so you can skate to that uh, and not just uh, use wh- where you are right now as a starting point. Absolutely. I mean, it's an, it's an interesting point because when what you're talking about now is, is to some extent, sort of the, the foundational piece of, of what we've historically thought of as quality assurance, right? You're talking about accelerating processes for program approval. You're talking about getting programming to market more quickly where, you know, traditionally speaking, we, 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 we think we're following a lot of processes to, to maintain quality. What you're suggesting is that the longer, the longer a piece goes through the approval process, the less relevant it is. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a very good point. The quality assurance is, is a big part of it. Of course, uh, we have to go through that and see who the subject matter, matter experts are. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think it's even more, th- more than that. And, and it has to do with politics, too. I mean, and I'm talking about uh, uh, political on the national yeah. stage, but I'm talking internal university politics when it comes to different departments, uh, prerequisites, who signs off on what courses and upskilling. I mean, there's a big debate around that. It takes a lot of time and it is very political. Absolutely. Well, 
why is this a thing that we're now paying attention to? You know, like the evolution of the publication, we've been around for 10 years. And I would say we're starting to see the most shift toward this kind of consumer mentality, this approach to relevance and, and you know, um, and, and market relevant programming. We're seeing more of that in the last three or four years than we've seen since we launched. Why is this something that we're all paying attention to today? Well, well I think it's important um, because what's going on in, in society at large. Uh, Michelle Weiss, Dr. Weiss, it, it runs our innovation and strategy at National University System. Mm-hmm. And she, she just came out with a wonderful book about uh, educating lifelong learners and that nexus between the, the workplace and post-secondary education. And one thing that she states, which is very interesting, is early baby boomers will change jobs 20 times in their lifetime. That's early baby boomers. And then you have, uh, and, and now early baby boomers are in their late 60s, early 70s right now. So then when you look at everyone else, they're going to be changing jobs and careers much more often than that. That's compounded by the fact that if you're going to live to 100 years old, if someone was born yesterday, I have two grandchildren that were born within the last two years. I'm very proud of that. And uh, there's, a really, thank you, there's a really good chance that, God willing, they're going to live over 100 years. Mm-hmm. and live a healthy 100 years. So if you take that into account, people of their generation are going to be changing jobs and careers if the current trends continue 40 or 50 times in their lifetime. That is huge. And the majority of those jobs and careers don't even exist yet. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about artificial intelligence, machine learning, all of that. So, so and, and who knows? I mean, I think we can't even imagine what's going to be happening in 50 years from now. So, so if you take that as a thesis, and then you say to yourself, how do you make sure that you have the curricula to make sure that it supports upskilling and the jobs of the future and those lifelong learners? Um, that's a big task. So that's why I believe it's coming to the fore and that we all have to lean in in significant ways to make sure that the next generations coming uh, are well prepared to take us where we need to be as a society. Absolutely, and I mean we're we're veering here into one of my favorite topics, um, you know, around the hundred-year life, the sixty-year curriculum. How do we start repositioning colleges and universities to be a more significant part of a learner's life than specifically those sort of two to four years right after high school at the start of their career? How do we position the, the post-secondary institution to be a meaningful contributor to an individual's lifelong learning? Well, I, I think it's by turning the, the traditional structure on its head. Mm-hmm. And, and what do I mean by that? I, I mean, there still will be a great place for the 18-year-olds coming out, getting experiencing that four-year college degree and that experience, residential experience. I mean, that that... You know, that's a, a mainstay in not only the United States, but around the world. So I, I think that's very important. And, and that fills a critical need. They said on, on the flip side, and what we can do is we don't have to have either or non-traditional or just the traditional, but it's the way we actually build the courses, which turn into programs, which can turn into credentials uh, or um, competency-based programs. And mm-hmm. if you make them all stackable and you put them in a way that, that the student can mix and match for the student's needs. And you combine those offerings with big data analysis to say, what, what are, what are and I'm talking blockchain here now, what are the skills and competencies people will need to get certain jobs in the future by a certain period of time using statistical data? 
if you marry those things up the day or even before the student starts and say, and the coaching says, you know, what are you, what are your interests? Oh, thank you for your interest. Here are the jobs that are available now, five years and 10 years. These are what the employers will need from you. And um, this is the path that you need to take. And not only in the next four years, not only in the next six years, if you're going with a master's program or a doctoral program, but for the rest of your life and you check in. And I, I really think that the wave of the future is going to be a subscription-based lifelong model for the learner. That it's just like going to your gym, that you're going there, you know that it's not just a weekly thing, a monthly thing, that it's going to be a generational thing to stay in shape. And that's where I think education needs to be. And I think that's where it will be going. Absolutely. Well, hopefully people make better use of my gym members. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I, you know, when I was saying that, I, when I was saying that, I was thinking, well, maybe that's not such a great example. <laughs> but the, you know what? That's, it's a fair point because the example is sound, right? It's, it's a service. It's something that people can, can come back to when it's relevant to them, when they need it. Some people will use it more than others. The point is that you're creating an environment where people have choice. Culturally speaking, though, that's not really the, the model uh, of, of the, the current post-secondary institution. Um, what are some of the shifts that need to happen if we're going to meaningfully reposition the post-secondary institution to serve as this lifelong hub of an individual's learning? I think we have to meet the student and the employee and the leaders of tomorrow where they need to be met. Mm-hmm. And, and if when, when I talked about turning on the head or the ear, this is part of it. So, so right now, if you think about, you know, I'm a, a, a UMass graduate, I'm an NYU graduate, I was, I was the dean over at San Diego State. So I, I'm used to a lot of traditional four-year universities and, and um, you know, big-time schools that have big-time alumni networks. And the alumni network, alumni usually love to get involved. And it gives them a, a sense of belonging, gives them a sense of this is where I came from. The university did so much to me. I want to give back. And that is great. And I said, but if we flip that and say, how does the university continue to be and add value to that student and that alumni and for the rest of their lives? So that's how you do it. You have to make sure... You have to follow the alumni's journey and say, you know what, this is not just a, a four-year degree you're getting with us. This is a, a, a compact that we will be there with you and we'll bring thought leaders in to help you where you need to be for the rest of your life. And so it's a different way you look about uh, at your relationship with your university instead of a, uh, you know, you stop in and then when you're alum, you come back and celebrate mm-hmm. on anniversaries and whatnot, home, you know, homecoming. Uh, this is a commitment, lifelong commitment. And if we do that right, the, we'll, we'll change society uh, in, in ways that we can't even imagine right now. Absolutely. So, I mean, you're, you're framing out a very new, or I guess, a, a picture of student centricity that very few institutions have really tried. Um, largely because, I mean, let's, let's be honest, a lot of these concepts are, are pretty new in terms of what, what a post-secondary institution could do or could be. What do you consider the characteristics of, of a truly student-centric post-secondary institution? Well, I, I think it, it, it goes around personalization and, and, and it's very expensive to personalize a person's education, as you might imagine. Mm-hmm. But I think you would be surprised that uh, through the use of big data, you have what's called mass personalization because a lot of people are very similar um, to other folks, basically where they came from, demographics, psychographics, ethnographics. 
um, backgrounds. So, so basically, tailoring an education to a person's specific personalized needs is, and, then, and then making sure that um, they're helped along the way and they have as much help as they can get if and when they need it. And that's how you, because you have a finite amount of resources usually. So how do you deploy the resources, the folks that really need it and the folks that just say, get out of the way, just give me that, you know, that curriculum and, and, a, and a good professor and I'll take care of it. The other way is to really um, to mind the technology. And, and I'll call it a self-serve model where other sectors and other industries have done it very well where you can find out everything you want to know about that product or service that you want to buy uh, without ever talking to anyone. And throughout the life of that experience, you can do things yourself and get right to the point um, anytime, any place, anywhere. For instance, your, your brokerage account. Many times you can have a brokerage account, never talk to anyone, do all the trades you want, get all the education that you want uh, on a um, uh, asynchronous model and, and be perfectly fulfilled with your outcomes. Uh, that's the way higher education, I believe, is moving, that we have a lot of smart people out there, so, you know, especially in underserved areas where um, that it typically the, the four-year traditional uh, degree just hasn't worked out. This, this is the way of the future, the democratization of education, and it creates an even playing field. You know, what's fascinating here, too, is that you're, you're kind of framing out, like, if we have a new consumer how do we bundle and unbundle the post-secondary product to make sure that they can, you know, call it buy the product that they want in a point in time. And, and I think it's important to note whenever we're talking about buying products, it's not about, you know, buying a degree or buying an education. You're buying the level of, of engagement that you really want or want to facilitate with an institution. You're buying the opportunity to learn. So how does this start to contribute to an unbundling model where you look at the different pieces of the post-secondary product and say, you know, how can students opt in or opt out? Well, th that's the, the secret sauce. So when we talked before about the structural um, uh, changes that had to happen, financial aid is one of those, you know, structural things that need to change. And I think there's a movement there. And I think the movement's a little wrong right now. There's a big movement on, is college worth it? And what about uh, credentials and competencies and, um, uh, testing out, does that take priority over college? And I think that's a, 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 a false um, uh, equation in that I think it doesn't have to be either or. I think it can be both, and I think it should be both. And I think if, if you take education and you, and you, in the beginning, put courses that are very meaningful to the employment of the adult learner, and they can start using the knowledge that they gain right away while they're going through college, uh, I think it's. I think that's a great way to do it, uh, but it will have to be opened up for folks that aren't just uh, full-time students or, or the way that the financial aid is, is set up right now. This is this is a fascinating uh, a fascinating discussion. And obviously, you know, there's there's a lot of work on the horizon that that we need to get from where we are today to where we're going. Now, you and the team at at um, at, at National are one of the institutions, one of the education providers that was recently named an Amazon Career Choice Partner. Um, so, how does how does this work with Amazon? How does this this positioning as a Career Choice Partner help to start to get the the gears in motion? towards realizing this new vision for, for the institution? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's linked um, very closely. And I think it's so exciting. Um, I, I think Amazon is a very uh, progressive 
forward-thinking, uh, employee-consumer-based organization. And that's a mouthful. But, uh, but they, they realize that they have a lot of the same problems that many institutions have today. And, and what is that? H- how do you attract, retain, upskill, promote, and, and care for your employees' future, even though it may not be with that organization? Now, that's a very unusual way to look at things, right? I, I call it the employee handoff. Because if you look at the data that I, I talked about before, those data suggest that people are changing jobs a lot in their lifetimes now, and that trend will continue, and it will actually multiply. So if you take that, employees are going to be looking for organizations that not only pay well, give them good benefits, a good working relationship, good culture, uh, uh, perhaps environmentally friendly, uh, you know, triple bottom line type of organization. Uh, but they're going to want to look at an organization where when they leave that organization, they leave stronger and more capable, and they can take a step up in their career and their station in life. And Amazon has recognized that. So we're lucky enough to be chosen one of four national partners that will help train upwards of 750,000 of their employees. They're expecting 300, uh, 300,000 of their employees to uh, take advantage of this free tuition from these four organizations over the next, I would say, three to four years. Uh, And and a big part of that is not only training them for what they're doing today, but for when they go after that new job outside of Amazon, that their employees will be in a great place. And because of that, and part of that, they're attracting great talent, many of military, 25, 30% of military veterans. Um, They're attracting uh, wonderful talent that's willing to commit three, four, five years uh, to, to do work in a great work environment and get educated for their next career. Absolutely. Well, Michael, I mean, that pretty much does it uh, on, on my end. Before we wrap, I, I, I'm just wondering if there's anything you'd like to add about what it's going to take for, for the modern post-secondary institution to start to adopt some of these mentalities around personalization, student centricity, and flexibility to continue to serve folks and, and to continue to expand their reach uh, over the long term? Well, well, I think it starts with, with, with the vision of what's possible and, and the why. Because I think once you get bought into the why and it galvanizes the folks in your organization, uh, it makes that change much more palpable and real, realizable. And, and what do I mean by that? So one of the things we focus on at National University is we focus on the student, and we realize that if you change a student's life through education, you change their family's destination and future cap- uh, possibilities forever, for generations to come. If you do it at scale, if you do it at scale, what we talked about during this call, you're changing society for the better mm-hmm. forever. And, and, and that keeps us going. That keeps our employees going, all our colleagues. And, and, it's, and if that's the mission, sign me up tomorrow, and then we'll make it happen, and we'll find ways to do it. It's such an important task. So to do that, it's structural. Uh, it, it is focusing on the student and also focusing on a good work-life balance for your uh, employees. We're in a remote environment right now, and it's a whole different kettle of fish on how you manage in a remote environment. Uh, but uh, I think you'll see this trend continuing that uh, – the non-traditional learner will be uh, the normal 
uh, in the future. It's, it's, it's the only segment right now that's actually growing uh, in, in, this, in this space right now in post-secondary. Absolutely. Well, Michael, we're going to have to have you back on. And thank you so much for taking the time out today to chat. It's, it's been a pleasure. Uh, it sure has. Thank you very much. And I look forward to seeing you at uh, ASU. This episode is brought to you by Modern Campus in partnership with The Evolution. Modern Campus empowers higher ed institutions to thrive when radical change is required to deal with lower student enrollments and revenue, rising costs, crushing student debt, and even school closures. Powered by the industry's only student-first modern learner engagement platform, Modern Campus supports every corner of the modern institution, from continuing and workforce education, to student affairs, to the registrar's office, to marketing and IT. To find out more on how you can transform your institution to meet the needs of the modern learner, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.